Father in heaven, this subject matter today, well, it's, it's important. This, uh, this subject matter, Lord, touches every one of us. The young and the old and everybody in between touches everybody. So I pray that you will make us listeners. And Father, I pray you'll make me a communicator as we get into this. But most of all, I pray that your word will speak and we'll pay attention. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's just go ahead and jump right in. Here we go. <laughs> I want to start with a joke, and it's a good one. Two men were chatting in the living room while their wives were in the kitchen. One of the men was telling the other about this wonderful restaurant he and his wife had visited a few days earlier. Wow, sounds great. What's the name of it? Hmm, what was it? Oh my, I'm having a hard time remembering. Oh, what's that flower with the pink blossom and thorns on the stem? You mean a rose? Yeah, that's it. Then looking over his shoulder, he shouted, Hey Rose, what's the name of that restaurant we went to the other night? <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Makes me laugh every time I have read that joke. It just came in a couple weeks ago and I thought, man, I've got to use that. And I've revisited it several times as I've been thinking about this message. And as much as it makes me laugh and makes me smile, the subject of aging is a very, very serious subject. In Scripture, it actually occupies a lot more time than we might realize. And as I said right at the beginning, as we're getting started in this, aging is a, an issue that touches every person. When we're young, we don't believe that we're in the process of aging, but we are. We are. We're all growing older. Every day, we have grown older than the day before. So aging is one of those biblical subjects that touches every person, no matter where we're at. So young people, as tempting as it might be to check out of this message, don't. Stay with me, because God has something to share with you today. And along those lines, why don't we just jump into God's Word? I want to share with you ten passages, and I could have kept going well into the hundreds. Ten passages of Scripture that address the issue of aging. Now, I pulled these out of different translations of the Bible, so I'm going to project them up on the screen for you, and you're going to see how we used different translations to pull all this together. Let's jump right into it by understanding that God has limited the number of days that we will have in this life. Here we go. This is from Genesis chapter three, or chapter 6, verse 3, from the English Standard Version. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Now for a lot of us, a hundred and twenty just sounds incredibly daunting and not even that much fun. For a lot of folks, the idea of a hundred and twenty is it's overwhelming. But what you have to realize is that that is not a guarantee of life on this earth. That is just a cap. Nobody's going to go past that. But I love the fact that God has said that he's made provision for all of us for the years that we have on this earth. Take a look. It is God's job to sustain us through the years that he gives us. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 4 from the New International Version. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. 
knowing that that is a promise that God will sustain us through our years on this earth, it makes that 120 a little easier to grasp. And then we can add to it things like this. God is highly concerned with the condition of your heart as you age. Now, I want you to think real serious about that. God is highly concerned with the condition of your heart. Listen to this from Psalm 73, verse 6, English Standard Version. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Moving on in that same line of thinking, when the heart is strong, aging brings a couple of blessings. Job chapter 12, verse 12 from the New International Version says, Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? Wisdom and understanding are two things that we pursue with everything we've got when we're young. But the truth of the matter, according to the Bible, is that they are byproducts of age and experience. Wisdom and understanding come with simply getting older. Take a look at this, number five. Remember the heart finds what it seeks. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, English Standard Version. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now I want to show you another passage of Scripture that helps drive that home, that the heart finds what it seeks. Jesus himself would put a, an exclamation point on the end of that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, when he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There is a command that goes with this, a teaching from Jesus that goes with this. As we grow older, as we simply grow, it is good medicine for all of us to make a choice to seek righteousness, right standing with God, to seek the things of the Lord. That helps keep our hearts strong, helps God do His job as He sustains us all the days of our life. Moving on, you can look at this. Don't stop bearing fruit. Uh, let's go back to number six, actually. There's a responsibility that comes with age. This is Psalm chapter 71, verse 18. Now that I am old and my hair is gray, don't leave me, God. I must tell the next generation about your power and greatness. It would appear that the Great Commission never ends. In the aging process, the Great Commission never ends. It is always our job, given to us by God, to share the gospel with everyone that we come in contact with. The psalmist is putting a familial application to that, teaching us to continue sharing the gospel with the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. That's how the gospel of Jesus Christ has spread over the course of 2,000 years. And that is still God's plan. There's never a point where the Lord says, now you've done your job with the gospel, turn it over to somebody else. That doesn't happen. God says as long as you have breath in your body, that commission still exists. Number seven, don't stop bearing fruit. Psalm 92 verse 14 from the English Standard Version says, they still bear fruit in old age. They are never full of sap and green. I just kind of like the way that boils down. 
So you still have a, a job to do, and that is to bear fruit. As long as the Holy Spirit lives within you, you are to bear fruit. Curious what that fruit looks like? The Bible tells us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 reads like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Verse 23 goes on, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's the fruit that we are supposed to be bearing as long as there is breath in our bodies. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Always working to bring out what the Spirit has put within us. As we are in the aging process from the moment we first give our life to Christ until we stand face to face in His presence, that's our job. Bear fruit. Bear fruit. Don't be full of sap and green. Bear fruit. Moving on, number eight. Accept new roles as you grow older. Titus chapter 2 Verse 1 through 4 and then verse 6 reads like this. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's Paul talking to Titus. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. I love the fact that Paul would say, as you grow up, grow up. That's really what he's saying. Let some of your job shift. Let some of your influence shift. Recognize that as you grow up, you need to grow up because that then imparts your influence and wisdom to those that will come behind. It's great, solid teaching. Number nine, give up your seat while you're young. It matters to God. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32, and this is from the New Living Translation. Stand up in the presence of the elderly and show respect for the aged. Fear your God. I am the Lord. How many of you grew up in a home where it was expected that as a, a kid, if someone older than you came in and there were no seats available, you were to give your seat up? Just raise your hand. How many of you have been on a commuter bus at an airport lately? Just raise your hand. Have you seen those really crowded and everybody comes in and there's a few seats there and there's a bunch of young people occupying those seats while old people are holding on to the, the railing up at the top just trying to stand up as the trains and the buses move? Anybody witness that? My mother would put a pop knot on my head if I stayed in a seat when there was somebody older there. That's not all that this passage is teaching. Part of what we are seeing from the book of Leviticus and what Moses is, is driving home here, and he's being given these words by God himself, is that there is a certain respect that belongs to those that are older than us. Give it because it matters to the Lord. It matters to the Lord. Now take a look at number 10. Aging is part of life. Find the best in it. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29, English Standard Version says, The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Find the best in it. Find the best in it. I appreciate that, Brian. Amen. And the glory of godly old men is no hair. That's, 
don't have scripture to back that up. We'll just let that stand on its own. Find the best in it. A lot of us run from the aging process. We dread it. Find the best in it. The splendor, the splendor of old men is their gray hair. God still finds value in you. He finds value in the aging process. Do the same. Now I want us to put a pin in the Word of God for just a second. We're going to come back to it. But I want to take you on a little journey that I went on. I have, for the longest time, taught and I have shared in counseling situations a number of different stages of life. But I've never actually put together the official names for these stages, even as I have talked about it and taught on the subject. But I found a place, just a website, that actually named all these different things that I have been familiar with. They call these the five stages of aging or the five types of aging. And it is really intriguing when you study something like this. I want you to pay close attention to these Five types of aging. Number one, there's chronological aging. We're all familiar with this, but here's the working definition. Chronological age is the number of years since birth to the current date. That's groundbreaking, isn't it? It's age in years, months, days, and so on. This is the most common method of determining one's age. We all have a chronological age, every one of us, and it is marked exactly the same. From the date of birth until today, you are however old, however many years, months, days, and so on. And hopefully you've arrived at a place where your mom and dad are no longer counting your years in months and telling everybody that you are 741 months old, that kind of thing. You've moved into the age side of it. You know what chronological age is. But take a look at this next one. There's biological aging. This is intriguing. Biological aging is the progressive decline in physiological ability of a person to meet demands that occurs over time. The core principle of biological aging is that age is a result of damage to numerous cells and tissues in your body. Biological age, also known as physiological or functional age, differs from chronological age in that it considers a variety of elements other than the day of birth. Biological aging in the medical profession takes on a whole different look. Biological aging, even for some people in the aging process, takes on a completely different look, particularly if you feel like you're aging faster than you should. Number three, there's appearance aging. I don't like this one very much. With age, the appearance of the face and neck changes. The face appears flabby or drooping due to a loss of muscular tone and thinning skin. Sagging jowls can give the appearance of a double chin in some persons. When my wife and I stand together, just like we did a, a few minutes ago in the service, people will often make this statement to me, Oh, is she your daughter? She is exactly 31 days, 32 days younger than me. But we get hit with that one. So apparently, my appearance aging is outdistancing hers. Number four, there's psychological aging. Psychological age refers to how old a person feels, acts, and behaves, and is not always the same as chronological age. If a person is mature or at least feels older than their chronological age, they can have psychological age that exceeds their chronological age. 
and vice versa. Number five, social aging. The term social aging refers to how society influences the meanings and experiences of aging, the expectations and assumptions of those around us about how we should act, what we are like, what we can do, and what we should be doing at different ages are all a part of social aging. And social aging tends to define a whole lot of what happens in the world that we live in today. No matter what our chronological age might be, no matter what our biological age might arrive at, or our physiological age, or our psychological age. For some people, you've always felt older than you are. You've always felt like your body was breaking down faster than it should. Other people have thought, my goodness, I, have, I just have all the strength and stamina in the world, and I don't feel like I'm as old as I am. Where there are other people that would say, I've got the heart to do what I did when I was younger. I just don't have the legs to accomplish it anymore. My body doesn't keep up with my mind, doesn't keep up with my heart, doesn't keep up with my desires. There's a wonderful quote in a, a Kevin Costner movie called Open Range. It's a western where they're getting ready to go on a long ride and somebody asks if his dog Tig is going to come with them. And, and Kevin Costner's character says, no, he's going to stay behind. He has the heart, not the legs. And that, that really resonates with a lot of people. You have the heart to do some things that you used to do. You just don't have the legs anymore. But I want you to know that even as your legs give out, if your heart is still strong, then you ought to be involved in the things that you enjoy doing. Nick Ferguson, a number of you knew Nick before he passed away and, and went to, to see Jesus face to face. Nick was a wonderful teacher of that. As he aged, his legs gave out a bit, but his heart never did. And one of the great illustrations that Nick Ferguson used to teach us was how he went to hunting camp. Other guys would head out into the mountains to go after elk and Nick would stay back and he'd tend the fire and celebrate the stories of the day as different guys would come back into the tent. He had the heart, just not the legs anymore. Well, that's good teaching. That's good medicine for us. You keep active. You stay at it. Even if it feels like your body can't keep up, you stay at it. But then, before we get to that point, we have to recognize that in the aging process, there are a number of things that we are called upon to do that others maybe can't or fit uniquely within our realm and our giftedness, and those are the things that we are supposed to accomplish. There is responsibility in every stage of life all the way unto death. And we are never given, we are never given the opportunity to say, that's it, I'm finished. And I'll show you why that is in just a few minutes. So now, we put a pen in God's Word. I want us to go back into our Bibles. And I'm going to show you one of my favorite old guys in Scripture. He is really one of my favorites. And as I was putting the message together, there were a number of different people in the Bible that I wanted to pull out and use today. But I just kept coming back to this one over and over and over again. His name is Caleb. And some of the best parts of his story are found in the book of Joshua. Why don't you turn there with me? Joshua chapter 14. 
I'm going to start in verse 6. Children of Israel wandered in the desert decades, over four decades. Now it's time to possess the promised land. There are only two men that will go into the promised land that were a part of the Exodus, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua is the one that's leading all of the Israelites or the Hebrew people into the promised land. Caleb is supporting everything that Joshua does. They were two of the original spies that went into the land and they were the two that brought back positive reports. And as a result of their faith, as a result of those positive reports, God said Joshua and Caleb would enter into the promised land. They're the only two that did. The rest of them died along the way. Every one of them over the age of 20 died along the way. So the only people going into the promised land now that were originally in Egypt were very young at the time. So now as they're getting ready to divide up all of the land, everyone's standing in front of Joshua, and this is what happens. Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My, sp- my strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now, listen to this. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man of the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. I love this passage. This is Caleb standing before Joshua saying, I'm 85 years old. I understand that, Joshua, and I am leading the people of my family. I'm leading my clan, but God made a promise to me that I would have the land that I walked across, that I spied out. That's the hill country. That's the mountains. I want that land. That was a promise given to me by Moses, and I'm holding you to that promise. Give me that land. Now at 85 years old, Caleb, because of his position, could have chosen any land in all of the promised land, all of the holy land, and he could have said, that's where I want to go. He could have chosen the plains. 
He could have chosen the flat land. He could have chosen a place where there weren't fortified cities and giants. But that wasn't Caleb. Caleb said, I'm as strong today at 85 as I was at 40. My heart matches my legs. I want that land. I want it. So you give it to me. I will take the hill country. Now you have to remember exactly what was laid out there. The Anakim were there. Those were the giants that the spies spoke of. And they had fortified cities. And in order to take this land, Caleb was going to have to kill the giants and tear down the cities and drive all of the inhabitants out of it in order to possess it. And that was Caleb saying, I'll take it. I want it. There's a part of his family that you know had to be standing there going, Caleb, we'd have anywhere. Let's go over there. There aren't giants there. There aren't fortified cities there. But Caleb wasn't listening to him. He said, I want that land. I want that land. And he went after it at 85 years old. At 85 years old. Folks, when we make a choice to take the hill country, no matter how old we are, we are choosing to live differently. And I would offer to you that the choice that Caleb was making was one that was generational. Caleb was thinking past himself. He was thinking past his children. He was thinking at least third generationally. Third generationally. Now let me show you why I believe that. And again, this is my opinion. I think this is the way he was thinking because it seems to be prevalent in Scripture. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. Why don't you open your Bibles there? Proverbs 13, verse 22. Solomon writes this. He said, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That is third generation thinking. That's how we outlive our life. It requires a great deal of purpose and intention to live that way. But third generation living says that I am leaving an inheritance, I am leaving a legacy that will outlive me and it will outlive my children and it will go on to my grandchildren. And a legacy that does that is so much deeper than finances. We always think of an inheritance as a financial inheritance, something that we pass on. And the Bible teaches a lot about that. And by the way, starting in June, I'm going to be doing a nine-week series in Sunday school called Nine Biblical Financial Principles in Uncertain Times. Hope you'll join us for that. And we'll talk about leaving a financial inheritance for the generations to come behind you. But in this particular case, we're looking not just at a financial inheritance or a land inheritance, we're looking even at a spiritual inheritance. When Caleb stood in front of Joshua and said, give me the hill country, that's where my clan's going to go, that's where we're going to set up our homes, that's where we're going to make our living, he was thinking in terms of those that would come behind him. He was 85 God's already said he wasn't going to outlive 120 if he makes it that far. 
So he wasn't making decisions for himself. He was making decisions for the generations that would come behind him when he said, give me the hill country. Give me the hill country. When we make decisions like that at 85, we are purposefully choosing to avoid, to avoid some of the common traps that society has set for us. One of the ways that Caleb was able to do that was defined for us three times in Joshua chapter 14. Did you hear it? It was found in these words. He wholly followed the Lord. Now Caleb's story in Scripture begins in the book of Numbers, bleeds over to the book of Deuteronomy, and then we find him again in the book of Joshua. Five times in those three books, he was defined like this. He wholly followed the Lord, which means there was never any hot or cold with Caleb. There was never an on and an off. He was all in, completely devoted to the Lord. He wholly followed him. And by that, he was able to think third generationally and avoid the traps that Scripture tells us we need to avoid that society would set for us, but Scripture would tell us to avoid. Now, I'm going to share with you what that trap looks like, but before I do, I'm going to have to say this. If you have checked out on me, dial back in. Come back in. If your mind is somewhere else, bring it back. Get dialed in tight for what we are about to look at, because this matters. Go with me to the book of 1 Timothy. This is the trap this is the trap that Caleb was stepping around. 1 Timothy chapter 5. There's still some pages turning. I'm going to let them stop. All right, everybody's with me. Verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now let's go back to verse 6. Here's the trap. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Now that is an interesting passage of Scripture. In it, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, you instruct people. And now, in this application, he's talking to widows, those that have been left alone. But we can apply that even in a retirement setting. He's saying, I want you to instruct them that they are still to be purposeful, even at this stage of life. Because to not be purposeful, to not use your influence the way you are instructed to use your influence, puts you in a category of dead among the living. You are dying while you are alive. 
Now, the whole application of it with a widow or even in a person that has arrived at a certain age, the whole application of that is to say, I have done what I am supposed to do. I'm finished. Somebody else can pick up the mantle. I don't have anything left to offer. I'm finished. Well, Paul's saying, you avoid that for all your worth because to fall into that is to die while you are living. And if you begin to define your life in a self-indulgent way, which society says in retirement, that's what we're supposed to do. It's just all about you and what you want to do. If you are living in a self-indulgent way, you are dead while living. Now that's, that's just interesting teaching, isn't it? And it, it's pretty in-your-face teaching. Avoid that. That's what Paul's saying You instruct people to stay away from that. So I want to instruct you to stay away from that. And it is an easy, easy trap that if we're not careful, man, it'll spring on us. Through the years in the church, I've seen people that have done that where they've said, well, I've done my time. I'm finished. Somebody else can pick it up. I don't want to do that anymore. I have nothing left to give. It's somebody else's responsibility. It's tragic when that happens. These last two Saturdays, though, yesterday and a week ago Saturday, we celebrated 90th birthdays for two wonderful saints in this church. Both are using their influence at 90 years old for the Lord. They're still taking the hill. They're saying, we want the hill country. Let us have it. We're going to move the kingdom of God forward. And that's the way it should be. It's third generational thinking, and they're thinking not just for their families, but they're thinking for their spiritual family as they take the hill country at 90 years old, thus avoiding this easy trap in societal aging, if you remember what we talked about there, where they try to tell us how it's supposed to be. And your retirement years do not have to be defined by self-indulgence. If you want to avoid that, let me show you five things from Scripture that will help with it. We're going to do this really fast. Take a look. Your whole life is full of purpose. Your abilities may change, but your purpose doesn't. Now, when I say that your whole life is full of purpose, I don't care how young you are, that is true. I don't care how old you are, that is true. Your whole life is full of purpose. Listen to what God says through the prophet Micah. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Your whole life is full of purpose. It's defined right there, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. If you've never memorized that verse, memorize it. It'll keep you calibrated. Here's number two. Remember your calling to love God and love others. Mark chapter 12, verses 30 through 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Remember that calling always. You are never freed from it. You are never freed from it. Number three, fan into flame the gifts that are within you like never before. And again, it doesn't matter where you're at in life. Fan into flame the gifts that are within you. Second Timothy chapter one, verse six, Paul's writing to this young man in the faith. 
For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Fan into flame the gift that is within you. Use what God's given you until you have no more breath. Number four, extend your life at least two generations past you. We've already talked about this. Proverbs 13, verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Extend your vision. Think third generationally. And start early thinking third generationally. Number five, growing older with God looks different than without Him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Growing older with God looks different than without Him. This whole sermon series is based on an unknown author's statement on the internet. Let me show it to you one more time. Chelsea, let's go back to that. Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your heart. Obesity is hard. Being fit is hard. Choose your heart. Being in debt is hard. Being financially disciplined is hard. Choose your heart. Communication is hard. Not communicating is hard. Choose your heart. Life will never be easy. It will always be hard. But we can choose our heart. Pick wisely. I might add to that this statement. Aging with God can be hard. Aging without God can be hard. Choose your heart. As I am now in my 50s, I am choosing to age with God. I've made that choice, and I made it very early on. And now in, in this decade of life, I'm seeing that it's pretty exciting having chosen to do this with God. Aging is hard with Him or without Him. I'm choosing with Him. I hope you will too. Why don't you stand and pray with me? Father in heaven, when we recognize that we are a royal priesthood, man, that's something. That's a commission from you that is just remarkable. Carry the gospel everywhere we go. Lord, that's... uh, It's a challenge as well, an awesome one. I pray that we will pick it up. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we feel rejected. Sometimes we feel unneeded. Sometimes we feel neglected and overlooked. But the truth is, you always see us. And you are always seeking to use us. So Lord, use us. I pray that those that are sitting in this room that have been contemplating self-indulgence, just kicking their heels up and letting others take the mantle, I pray they'll pick it back up again. And they will live until they die. And they will live for you. It's my prayer for myself as well as everyone in this room. And it's offered in Jesus' name. Amen.